right, I think we're just going to do what we normally do and just start the show. Just roll right into it. I'm George Techmanchub with Steve the Big Cat Anderson, and right now we're going to talk about. Um, actually, we're going to talk about something that I think a lot of shooters, hopefully, will be interested in. I think it's uh, it's an unspoken topic. It's very foreign ground. It's not taboo. No, it's not. I shouldn't say it's unspoken either. It's just that uh, I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there. Okay. And the subject, of course, here is going to be shot execution. And I'm going to add the words under pressure. Yeah, that works. Dun, 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 dun. No. It's easy to do when no one's around. Under pressure, right? So, yeah, it's, it is so easy to do when nobody's around. Have you ever noticed that you listener dear listener may find yourself shooting in front of a blank bale nobody's around and everything just seems so effortless seems so easy and then you're standing on you know wednesday night league while everybody's watching or you know your your best friend and you are shooting for donuts or something i don't know whatever and the pressure changes things but nothing actually physically changed nothing so what's that that's the mental game Mm -hmm. right I mean, that's what it's all about. It, it comes down to the mental game, you know. I, and, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. Steve's going to talk about it from his perspective as a compound guy, and I'm going to talk about it from my perspective as a recurve guy. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll shed some light on the matter. Yeah. All right. There should be something. Maybe you'll, uh, maybe you'll, you'll take one piece of this. Who knows? That's all we can hope for. Yeah, because goodness knows we don't have this down 100% ourselves. Just nope. make that real clear up front, you know. I've been on a couple of world teams. I've shot in the world games. Steve has podiumed at world events. I haven't. But um, with that said, you know, I, I think we are reasonably experienced in this area, and so hopefully we'll come up with something that's useful to you. Yeah, and I think, you know, having uh, shot on some some big stages, I feel like, I mean, I'm not going to go out there and say I'm experienced like some other guys are, but I, if I shared my whole story with you. Well, you're no slouch. Yeah, if I told you where I was five years ago and then compared to now, I think it's, you know, I've gotten to see the, the full side of everything from the, the amateur coming up trying to figure out how to do it to a guy who's doing it, I guess. So, you know, um, a few months ago, I was asked a series of questions for a magazine in Japan that's uh, published by a, a very good friend of mine, my brother, Yoshi Komatsu. And um, he asked me a series of questions, uh, all of which touched on this same theme. And I'll sum it up with this one question. Question. In any competition, Yuki, the particular shooter in question here, her grouping is not good and her arrows fly erratically in comparison with practice she can easily shoot 1200 plus in practice but her best score in competition is 1140 she wants your advice well there's a starting point the starting point first of all is to understand that you've got a problem right i mean we all have this problem for one time or another and that problem is not being able to shoot the same in competition as we do in practice now why is that Mm. Three-letter word. Three-letter word. I'll give you three guesses. First two don't count. Ego. You got it. I've heard this enough. Well, it's the truth. <laughs> it is the truth. It is absolutely the truth. It's ego. It's yeah. it's 100% ego. What, it, what What is it that makes us tighten up? It's expectations. What gives us expectations? Wanting to look good? Wanting to fulfill somebody's expectations? 
impress yourself, impress somebody else, impress your friends, impress your enemies, depress impress your enemies, Facebook. yeah, <laughs> whatever. The it's all coming down to one thing. Yeah. So first of all, I think the most valuable advice I've ever gotten, and you've heard this before too, Steve. Doesn't matter how you shoot, your friends are still going to be your friends, and the people who yeah. don't like you, well, doesn't matter. No. So, you know, it comes down to ego. Now, what do we do to subsume that ego? What do we do to, to give ourselves a grounding in perspective here? Well, if you're me, you just go and expose yourself to that tournament environment enough that you eventually beat yourself down and you go, okay, I've came, I've embarrassed myself plenty of times, and I'm going to do it a little differently now. That's the hard way to do it. Mm-hmm. But it's also one that can be successful if you have the intestinal fortitude to carry it out. In other words, hit rock bottom. Yeah, essentially. And, and I don't mean that was you, but, you know, <laughs> hit rock bottom and climb your way back out, right? We, we've all had, I mean, from the top-level shooters, we've all had our moments where we were absolute garbage. And it's not because we were necessarily, you know, shooting bad going into a tournament. We just did not perform because of something in between our ears. Now, somebody listening to this might go, well, it's not ego. It's, it's something else. It's fear. Well, what's the fear of? That Nobody, you won't impress someone. Nobody's going to kill you if you don't shoot a good score, at least not sure. in our country and, and not most other world archery countries I'm aware of. I would hope that those who are competing on the world level are safe when they return home, regardless of performance. Yeah, I mean, you know, this isn't football, right? This isn't soccer where they might bump you off. If you right. In some countries that's happened from time to time, but not in, not in our sport. Our sport's not uh, popular enough with bad people, I guess. I don't I know. Guess. But, you know... Here's the deal. We feel stress, right? Whatever. And the real basis of stress is uh, tension that comes from fear. Um, fear of bad performance, expectations that we want to shoot a certain score. I can't tell you how many people I know shot a 1299. Yeah, and that's... Back when 1300 was special, you yeah. know? Uh, now, of course, you know, a Korean shooter, for example, looks at, you know, 1360 and they're depressed so (laughs) you know well the other 20 people ahead of them but you know we've got expectations or family members might create expectations coaches might create expectations but mostly it's ourselves it's it's Mm -hmm. it's people you know all of all this makes us try to shoot better of course right there's nothing like getting out to a tournament after you've shot thousands and thousands and thousands of arrows and doing it different when you get on the line Yep, you get there, something changes within you, and you start executing shots completely different than you did at home. Yep. Pretty soon, if you if you really dive off into the wrong the wrong road, you're changing stabilizer weights, you're looking for something, immediate fix. It's yep. not there. It's yep. not the bow, it's not draw length, it's it's you. Absolutely. And and you can prove it, right? Mm-hmm. Look at some of the folks that we know. People are friends who get out there, they practice every day when they're shooting in practice and nobody's watching and they're, you know, they're in their rhythm. They're gorgeous. I mean, it's like I've got, you and I have a friend, you, you probably know who I mean, and this guy has great form and he freaking shoots awesome groups and he goes to tournaments and he gets disappointed. Now, you know, there's a reason for that. It's not because he isn't talented. No. It's because he's got big expectations and he's letting those interfere with his ability. At some point, you got to let it go. Yeah, that's it. That's the bottom line. All this trying to shoot better stuff is what really screws us up. We slow down. We tighten up. We shoot carefully. 
our score drops, we get more stress. This causes us to be more careful. It's a vicious feedback loop. Mm-hmm. And it's not fun. No, there's uh there's there's a lot that goes into that too. We were discussing this the other day with another employee here where he mentioned wouldn't it be great to see the target clearer and closer? Oh yeah, no. Said, <laughs> no. No, yeah, we we don't want to see more movement and more shake. It'd be nice just to see it all clear and close, but it's not always the best. I mean, when it comes to shot execution, there are a lot of things that can ruin shot execution based off of what your mind is perceiving that your eyes are seeing. Right. And and just to give a little feedback, just a little more background on that particular comment, you know, our friend uh, a guy who's developed some really cool accessory items here at Easton, by the way. Um, he came up to us with, he's not a target shooter. Let's make that clear. Came up to us with the thought of, hey, what if we could adopt a pistol scope to the compound bow so that you could really, really see the target clearly, see all the holes and everything else? And I looked at Steve, and Steve looked at me, and almost simultaneously we said, no, <laughs> we don't want to do that. Because 99.99% of good shooters who have too clear and still of a sight picture, what happens? They lock up. They stop drawing. They stop pulling. They quit executing the shot. Because they're, they're, the visual aspect of what's going on interferes with the ability to execute the shot. You almost I'm not saying you want it to be fuzzy, mind you, right? But you don't want a crystal clear, dead rock steady image. You've got to let it float. Mm-hmm. And this is true whether you're shooting a compound or a recurve. Yeah, over-aiming is the death of shot execution. Absolutely. You know, we've said before that recurve is a sort of an execution sport and compound is an aiming sport, but that's not really true. They're both an execution sport. Yeah, it is. I mean, the compound... Aiming's a little more. Yeah, we we talked about this a lot on the stabilizer episode we did. Um, And I mentioned that none of the top-level guys, despite what people might think, can just get in the X-ring and park it and sit perfectly still and get a shot to go off. If that was the case, we would all just punch the hell out of the, the trigger and be good with it, and we wouldn't have to worry about it. But we can't park it in the middle. We we have movement. We see that same movement, so we, we counter that by using the correct aiming reticle, whether that's a big dot, a hoop, small dot, whatever you like, whatever your mind likes. And without using too much magnification, I see a lot of shooters, uh, amateur level shooters using eight power scopes, 10 power scopes sometimes. It just, that's, I, I think the wrong direction you want to go. Magnification is cool and great. And yeah, it lets you see things a little bigger, but it also lets you see a lot more of your movement. Um, Which can interfere with the process of the shooting the shot. Yeah. I mean, that's, when when you're shooting a, a release properly, you know whether it be a hinge or a, a thumb trigger, and you're getting that surprise shot, a lot of times the actual shot is finished by your mind seeing what it wants to see the outcome. through your eyes. Yeah. I mean, shooting a hinge release after the click, you're talking 10 thousandths of an inch, so the thickness of some paper. And to get a shot to actually execute you aren't going to be able to perceive 10,007 inch of rotation through your hands and fingers and arms and shoulders. There's way too much in the way. Your mind is finishing the job when it sees your dot or your aiming reticle in the spot it wants it to be. Now I'm going to pull you back a little bit here and, and ask you to explain something because I think it's important. Not everybody that listens to us understands what you mean when you say the click. 
We're not talking about a recurve clicker here. So, right. and, and I'll point out that the advent of clickers in back tension releases is maybe 10 years old, max? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. So just in case somebody didn't understand what you meant, please elaborate just a skosh. Right. How do so, you use the, the click? So when I'm, when I'm executing a shot, I, I come to full draw. I rotate my release until it clicks. I'm shooting a hinge release. It clicks, and at that point, I pretty much am just waiting. You know, I'm, I'm still I, – I don't pull through the bow really hard. I think that's a – some guys do it. Some guys don't. I think a relaxed build of tension is the best way. But that click – that click in my release tells me, okay, you're right on, you're right on the edge. It's about to fire. So you're 10 thousandths of an inch away and you hear the audible click. Maybe you just feel it. One of the two, but from there, that's when I start really trying to aim and execute a shot. I, I get on the yellow and then roll to a click, but I'm not, I'm not wasting time and energy aiming before the click. So if you're unfamiliar with the click, hopefully that makes sense now. Yeah, yeah it clarifies it very well. Yeah, I'm kind of explaining some of the methods you can use with one. Anyhow, a lot of guys I'll see, they'll sit on target for five, six, seven seconds, then click. Now they're aiming. I mean, they should be done by that. All that time before the click was wasted. Complete waste. So, I mean, when I'm trying to execute good shots, and I, I was watching myself at World Club or World Cup uh, Roslau, in the bronze match and I was shooting really fast. You can see it by the way on archery.tv. It's on YouTube. Yeah. And I'm rolling into the click and then I'm about one to three seconds away and I'm cutting them loose. And that's a little faster than I'd normally shoot. Um, I guess that's uh, an environment of being on the 22nd clock. You know, I'm trying to work quickly. Um, I don't rush the shot, but I'm not lollygagging either because I can't let down. I've got to make it happen. I've got to have a little more aggressiveness. That means you've got to start the shot with commitment yeah. right from when you start the draw. Yeah, as soon as you're loading into that, I mean, you're loading in to send one downrange into the 10 ring. There's no turning back. No matter what the wind does, you, you've got 20 seconds. So I'm trying to get them off in about eight seconds. I, if, if my coach calls 10 seconds, that's longer than I normally shoot. That's longer than my normal shot execution. So something's off there. But – the, the fact of the matter is, in that video, you can see me shooting, and I'm pretty quick. You can watch me roll to click, and then as soon as I stop moving my fingers, that's when the implemented finger movement so that the actual – I'm forcing the release to, to roll. That's when that stops. As soon as I click, that goes away. It goes right into just waiting and executing and seeing what happens through my scope into my mind and subconsciously breaking the release. You're visualizing what you want to have yeah. happen, and while you're visualizing, it happens. Yeah. And I don't know if I explained that too well. I'm sure, you know, I could probably clarify some of that to someone. No, but, you know, the fundamentals are there, right? You you are – let's break this down. You're about to shoot a shoot-off, let's say, or mm -hmm. you're about to shoot a single shot that could make or break your run because it's straight scoring for compound. You need to make every arrow count. Mm -hmm. You can't afford to miss. You can't afford not to hit the 10, which is the focus of the compound guy. Right. Or woman. And you have yourself a situation where you're under pressure. You have thousands of spectators watching you. You are, you are very aware and focused on what's going on. Your fingers close around the release and you start the draw. Walk us through the rest of the shot. So you start the draw. 
get to full draw, climb into the peep. What I mean by that is just get to your anchor point. Um, at that point, you know, I'm getting, as I'm getting the scope on target onto the yellow, I'm moving to the click. Click, release goes, release goes into the click, I should say. I should not, you know, say it goes and fires. It's all good. But yeah. I'm in the click. And from there, ideally, I'm trying to keep it in the 10. I'm trying to just work a nice, slow, soft aim, not over aim. I'm going to see more movement because I'm in a metal match. You're a little excited. You got to just continue to execute through the movement and not try to stop it. As soon as you try to stop it, it just gets worse. What is your conscious mind focused on? Are you visualizing actively that shot breaking loose and the arrow going in the middle or what are you focused on? What's Steve Anderson focused on? I try to focus on seeing the dot in the middle and feeling as if I'm, I'm driving my bow arm into the target and I'm slowly, slowly building tension into my release arm. I mean, I'm not, if you try to, if you try to really pull the wheels off, a lot of guys will, will jerk on their, on their release hand. So smooth motion. Yeah. It's just a smooth motion, slow expansion, uh, building of tension. One way it was put to me that occasionally I'll revert back to is your your target is a is a pallet full of bricks and you've got a rope attached to it. The the bow is a is a stationary object. It's a pole in the ground. You got one hand on the bow, the other hand is pulling the pallet of bricks, or or like you would on an exercise machine at the gym. I mean it's just a slow pull through that release hand. Um and even then, it's not, like I said, I'm not yarding on anything. I'm just trying to work enough tension to get through it. At the same time, if I'm feeling like I'm not going anywhere, it's probably because I'm tense and I've got a lot of pressure on the index finger. At that point, I start to try to loosen up the index finger and just relax that, almost like I'm pointing it at the target. But slowly and very deliberately let's get specific what what release are you using just in case people are wondering uh, i use a Trueball ht pro the brass one so that's got uh basically a, a semicircle to hold your index finger mm-hmm. and then two more semicircles to hold your middle and ring fingers yeah it's a three finger and it kind of rotates as you draw the geometry changes on it that's actually what makes it go right yeah i mean if, if you're firing a hinge release it's it's off the rotation around the moon okay the moon, of course, being the sear and the, the part that's adjustable to make the release slower or faster depending on where you are in the shot cycle. Yeah. Hotter or colder, I guess you call that, yeah. right? So. All right. I just want to make sure that we're not losing anybody on this. Uh, people who get this get it, but people who are beginners might not yeah. understand some of the jargon. So I just yeah. want to try to make sure everybody gets something out of this. Of course, we're always willing to clarify podcast at eastontp.com. Podcast at eastontp.com is our email address where you can... Uh, Send us your questions, comments, complaints. Rude remarks. We haven't gotten any of those yet. Not yet. I'm not soliciting any, mind you. <laughs> All right. So, you know, for uh, for both compound and recurve, I think we can break down the elements of a good shot to what my coach Dick Tone calls, you know, the three basic elements. Focus, rhythm, timing. See, I'm ghetto. I never had a coach. I just I just went and do it. That's because you know? you, you're just a talented guy. <laughs> I had some good mentors along the way, but, uh, well, they're coaches too. It's just depending on how you define them. Right. Yeah. It was, it was more or less just, yeah, do it that way. No, don't do it that way. You know, I never had uh, po- like bullet points or, or any sort of 
true um, process coaching, I guess yeah. you could say. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear Dick's stuff right now. I'm trying to you know, heed some advice here myself. Well, uh, you know, our last podcast was with Dick Tone, and uh, we did talk a little bit about some of the shot stuff. We talked about his philosophy about shooting, but you know, we'll incorporate some of that discussion in here because I think it works for both compound and recurve, and yeah. I think it could be really useful for some folks out there. If, if one thing out of this discussion is helpful to somebody we've done our job so hopefully uh, hopefully somebody will get one thing out of this that'll help let's talk about working on a strategy for dealing with competition pressure through practice there's lots of ways we can practice i personally i think the way we practice has an influence on how we do in competition and i think one of the fundamental things that i've been doing for many years is whether it's successful or not is a separate issue but I believe strongly that you need to practice as you're going to compete at mm-hmm. some level, right? Yeah. Just don't stand there and huck arrows at a blank bale at 10 meters. You know, you need to you need to put a little pressure on yourself. You need to tell yourself this is a shoot-off arrow. Yeah. You know, and you need to, how do I put this? It's a little like lifting weights, right? Just shooting your bow over and over again. It's weightlifting. Mm-hmm. Doing it under pressure, doing it with a goal in mind, doing it with physical uh, effort related to what would normally be external stress that you've created yourself in some way. Uh, I think that's got some value. So number something, one, I think you got to keep score yep, every time. There now. you go. That's, that's, that's one point right there. And you, you commit to it. You don't say, Oh sweet. I shot a 60 on that first end. I'm just going to roll right into scoring. No, you take your two practice ins, three practice ins, whatever it is. And you commit to it just like it would be a tournament. Exactly. Because, you know, so many people go into real tournaments with expectations that are, I'm raising my hand up above my head, that are here, right? Mm -hmm. And in reality, their score under normal scoring circumstances is something less than that. So they get to the tournament and they start getting stressed out because their score is falling short of where they think they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. But if they actually practice the way they shoot in tournaments. It might be different. Well, they'd have more realistic expectations maybe. Yeah, they might they might understand that they're a, you know, a, a two ninety nine shooter, not a three hundred shooter. Well, you know, in the case of a compound, right? But in the case of a recurve, for example, I mean, you know, sixty points at seventy meters is a nice score to have. And you know, if you do shoot one of those, and then you decide, okay, that that counted for my first end, I'm going to keep scoring. Well, I'm sorry, you but you're kidding yourself. yourself. You yeah. cheated yourself. You know. Yeah. So working out a, a strategy for dealing with pressure with practice. What what uh, what are your thoughts on that in general? Besides keeping score, I, um, I have I have some other means, and, and I've actually what better time to ask you this uh, than right now, George? Uh, there's a good chance I'll probably make the World Cup final. I don't know. We'll see how things go next week in in Medellin. But yeah, we'll stay tuned. If I do, I plan on doing some some much different, unorthodox type practice. I was I was actually going to ask you to come and number one announce, number two play weird music. Uh, make put, it more like the real deal yeah yeah get just get uh unorthodox unconventional methods i think you know if you want to work on shooting under pressure run 10 meters come back to your bow pick it up and shoot it yep when i shoot and train shooters in japan they always run to the target and run back now part of that's because in japan you know people are very courteous nobody wants to be the last one back but part of it's you know, because they, they want to elevate their heart rate a little bit. Yeah, give yourself something different. I mean, everyone can stand in front of the bale and pound arrows. You know, one of my favorites is to shoot a single arrow and shoot it at 70 meters and go down there and get that one arrow. Yeah, that 
that will uh, make it count for sure. You bet. I mean, it's time consuming and it can be painful to do at times, but shooting single arrow shoot offs over and over again really teaches you the value of each individual arrow because our sport is not shooting groups. Our sport is shooting one arrow at a time, which ends up creating a group. Yeah. And I've, uh, I've fought that with my wife a lot. She, Linda she puts, Ochoa. Yeah. She puts a value on the first arrow. Sometimes she wants so badly to shoot a 60 that she, she puts a 60 points on every arrow. And I say, you know, it doesn't matter how you get to a, a good score. I've seen Mike Schlosser shoot 702 or 703 with two fifty fives, And it, you know, you can shoot 55, 60, 60, 60, 60, 60, and then have, you know, you're still at three fifty five. who cares how you do it. The, the points, if you can have a bad end, it's not an end award. It's an arrow award. You know, you get awarded for each and every arrow you cut loose. So I don't care how I get there. If it's 58 average and I throw in a mix of 29s, I'm going to be at 700 points, you know, and that's not stellar shooting, but it's a stellar score. It's a pretty good score. It's no a one, score that'll win 99.9% of the time. Yeah. No one's ever complained about, you know, shooting a 700. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, seeking out opportunities to shoot under pressure, I think is an important consideration in anybody's training plan, right? Yeah, you got to get yourself in that environment. The more you shoot under pressure, the more you're used to it. You get enough experience with it, and then it's a normal thing. Yeah, and for yeah. the people just starting out, I mean, don't don't wait until you're good enough to shoot a tournament. Screw that. I mean, go pay your registration fee. Consider it the best practice you can ever buy. If normal range fee is 10 bucks and tournament fee is 50 you just got – $50 worth of the best practice you'll ever get. Because it's exposure to something that you can't create completely any other way. You can get close. You can have friendly competitions with your friends or your teammates when you're practicing. That can be useful. Yeah. I uh, I practice with Henry Bass a lot. He and I, we've shot probably 30 straight arrows in one-arrow shoot-offs. You know, straight, we've shot a Vegas game in one-arrow shoot-offs indoors. And it's... Uh, yeah, always try to be competitive. I mean, if, you're, if your end goal is to be the best shooter you can be in tournaments, number one, don't do it so you can post it on Facebook. I, uh, with, with indoor season around the corner, we're inevitably about to see a huge wave of people showcasing their targets that are 300, 27X, 28X, whatever they are. And you get a lot of guys who line up and shoot a practice score thinking, oh, I can't wait. I'm going to put this on Facebook. And so many people are going to like it and give me a comment and blah, blah, blah. And it's true. They will. You know what's cool? Doing it in a tournament. Sure. I mean, it's practice is one thing, but don't create further expectations on yourself by pumping your ego up via social media or any other way. Exactly. Because honestly, in the big scheme of things, in the real world, it doesn't matter unless it's on a scorecard. Doesn't necessarily even really matter then in the big big scheme of things true enough in the archery scheme yeah nobody remembers next year you know who who won a world cup three years ago nope except the statisticians and maybe you know people like me that need to remember it once in a while a few nerds like us nerds yep i like uh, i like to think though that if you can visualize yourself in a pressure situation and visualize success in that situation that that can be a valuable tool i think every top shooter i know and I've worked with a few, every single one uses visualization at some point as part of their competition prep, right? Because again, you know, the more familiar you are with the situation, the more comfortable you are, the better you can perform. And even if it's in your imagination, 
you know, thinking about being in a situation and visualizing it strongly, the more comfortable you can you can be in those high pressure situations. I am sure that before you ever found yourself on a Vegas line in a shoot off, that you had seen yourself there, that you visualized it somewhere. Well, I haven't necessarily been in the Vegas shoot off yet, but yeah, I mean it's it's uh I do agree with you. Visualization is is critical. I mean, especially it, it comes down to something just so simple as in your mind, seeing where your sight picture is going to be and just being okay with that and then committing to the shot, seeing the same thing, executing the shot. You know, there's, there's a lot of different visualization techniques you can use. And I try to break it down to the smallest one, not necessarily you know, some people will, will visualize themselves standing on an Olympic podium or something like that. No, the podium is the outcome of shooting good shots. Yeah. That's, it's not the, it's not the, right. That's the wrong thing to visualize. You don't want to be looking ahead. I mean, it should be the simplest thing. And when you're under pressure, that should be the, the first thing you, you focus on is that, that simple cue that, that mentally sets you down the right path. You know, getting ahead of yourself can be a big impediment. Like you talked about with Linda, you know, uh, thinking about the 60 mm-hmm. when you are really shooting one shot at a time you know i think the biggest impediment to achieving a good score is to focus too much on the score right uh, instead you know again focus on executing a good shot we don't shoot a score we shoot a single arrow at a time mm-hmm. and um eventually we get a score out of that right but the way we get there is one arrow at a time and the other thing is to focus on the arrow you're shooting right now not the last one mm-hmm. i think it's a skill to be able to let the last one go yeah, it's already there. Right. And the next one's got its turn coming. And so focus on that one arrow because uh, you can't take it back, right? No matter how hard you look or how much you think about it, it's not moving. It's in right. the target. Right. So uh, the only arrow that matters is the one that's in your bow, the one that you're shooting at that moment. And yeah. by focusing on each step in your shot sequence, you can you can kind of insulate yourself from competition pressure a little bit. Al Henderson uh, used to be a big advocate of making sure you stay on the line and focus on shooting the one arrow that you're and and not think about what's happening at the target. Focus on what's happening on the line. That is where you're standing. Mm-hmm. By keeping it back here on the line and not putting our mental effort on the target, it makes it much easier to just execute the shot. The rest of it just follows. I thought that was some of the best advice I ever got. I originally got that from uh, from Nancy Myrick, the the late Nancy Myrick, the great uh, American world competitor and later coach. And uh, she was the coach at the Olympic Training Center when I was a resident athlete there. So that, that had a big impact on me to say, stay on the line, you know. And and I've used that as a coach myself, you know, to other shooters. And it, it's amazing how well little simple stuff like that can work. Yeah, keeping within yourself. I mean, that's... First and foremost, but it's a it's a strong it's a strong possibility that if somebody is over aiming or over focusing on aiming, it's because their focus is out there instead of back here on on the target line mm-hmm. where they're standing. And so, um, you know, I think it's particularly important to make sure your focus stays where you're at. You yeah. know, and I think to turn it back to a little bit more technical talk. I think that the nature of your aperture, the nature of your dot, can affect that to some degree. Do you agree? I 100% agree. I mean, what, like I've said this, you know, 100 times already in this podcast, 
what your mind perceives through what your eyes see is what really triggers your shot execution. And you get a lot of different guys doing a lot of different things with aiming reticles, scope setups. Um, there, there's a lot to it. So find the one you like that allows you to aim fine enough that you're still being precise, but also allows you to relax enough that you're still able to execute a clean shot without fighting it. Now, a lot of what we've talked about relates to both compound and recurve. But I'm going to drag it toward the recurve side just a little bit more here for the moment and talk about two other ways to change the focus for the recurve shooter. In other words, to get the focus back on execution and off of the target to some degree. The first method is used by some good shooters, and that's simply to get rid of the pin. Just mm-hmm. use an open ring. Yep. Okay? And the reason for that is that your eye will naturally center a round object in a round aperture. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's a very effective technique. Yes. Um, you know, it, it's quick, positive results because it immediately changes your focus. Yeah, and some guys are peekers. When they, when they see a pin... They try to look around it. Yeah, they move it so they can see back into the middle. And so you can be more relaxed. But the problem with that technique is that if you're shooting in the wind, trying to aim off in the wind can be a little more of a challenge. Now, some shooters are, are overly focused on the target and they bounce their focus back from the pin to the target, and then they slow down that way as well. So in that particular case, I go to what I call pistol mode. You know what pistol mode is? I do not. Well, when you're shooting a pistol, whether it's combat pistol or target pistol, your focus is actually on the front sight. Hard focus on the front sight and fuzzy focus on the target because your eye is not capable of focusing on two distant objects, mm-hmm. two different distance objects at the same time. Right. So... We focus on the front sight with a pistol, and I recommend the same thing for somebody who's got a floating problem back and forth. Focus on the pin. Hard focus on the pin. Let the target go fuzzy. Soft focus on the target. That lets you stay on the line and execute the shot um, the same way as you're shooting at a blank bail if, mm-hmm. if you can have the discipline to, to carry it out. And it also really reduces your apparent movement while you are aiming. So I do know that a lot of recurve shooters, some very good ones, feel that sometimes they're focused on the target, sometimes they're focused on the pin. If you stay on one or the other, it could be better for you. Yeah. So it's something to think about. It is. Something I haven't thought a whole lot about. It's also better for wind shooting, in my opinion, because uh, you can take that hard focus on that pin, physically move it on your fuzzy image, execute the shot. Yeah, you have a little better idea of where you're actually aiming. But the biggest factor is it reduces the feeling of movement that you're getting that is the negative movement of bouncing around the target yeah and lets you focus on moving through the shot which is the most important thing it is with a recurve similar to with a compound you can't stop moving you really don't want to do that now depending on which quote system you're using as a recurve shooter you may get to a transition point where you feel like you've come to a stop and then you start again but in reality you want to have a motion feeling all the way through the shot so one thing that I find can be useful is to feel as if your elbow is on a string and someone's pulling on it or you know, you're, you're going to smack somebody behind you with your elbow. Either way, if you can focus on the motion of your elbow, that does two things for you. One, it's a positive thing because it's moving, right? And the second thing is you're occupying your conscious mind by thinking about it. Instead of thinking about oh my God, I'm about to shoot a 1299 if I shoot a nine, you know, <laughs> any of that, you know, 
Oh, by the way, been there, done that. And uh, I can tell you that that positive motion thing, you know, thinking, focusing on, move that elbow. You're, right? you're simplifying your mental approach. Yeah, exactly. Because you know what? When we get up there at full draw, we're stupid. We got to simplify. Yeah. I mean, it's hugely advantageous to be able to not think. As much as possible. Yeah. So just to recap, shot execution under pressure. While the pressure is a function of the environment and your expectations, you can learn to deal with it by exposing yourself to more situations that contain it. You can learn to manage it by experiencing it, which goes to your best lesson, best 50 bucks you spent. Pay go, your entry fee. Pay your entry fee. Go, go take your stand beating. up there, take your beating. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I 100% agree, but I definitely agree that if you wait to enter a tournament until you are, quote, ready, you'll never enter a tournament. Yeah, I mean, I look at it this way. Has my life ever become worse because I shot a tournament? No, I wanted to go. I committed to going. I committed to paying the money to travel, paying the money to enter. Only good things have come from it. Only good positive results. The negative bad results, they didn't they didn't detract from what I had done before that in life. Yeah, it wasn't an ideal outcome, but this is a sport where you fail a lot. Oh yeah. You really you can't be perfect, number 1. It's just especially outdoors, I mean indoors. Unless you're Mike Schlosser. Yeah, I mean you can there's always exceptions, I suppose, but sorry, but you know, there's, there's only one way you can go and that's down. So you just kind of have to embrace what archery is going to put in front of you and realize that the failure is going to be there. It's not failure, but what you might perceive as, you know, negative results or, or whatever it is. I mean, I think, I think the majority of people really struggle, struggle with, shooting under pressure in indoor situations. Outdoor is not such a... Oh, I agree a, with that, a, by the way. Outdoor seems... Well, you know why. You got... As we look out the window right now, we're looking at 30-mile-hour winds. At that point, you just go, well, heck, I'm just going to shoot the best I can. The wind's blowing. What can I do? Yeah, you don't have to be perfect. I but mean, indoors, ooh. Yeah, outdoor, you get on a, a, a World Cup stage, World Champion stage. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure there. But it's indoors where even with no one around, you know, okay, I'm shooting a compound. I'm shooting at Vegas. I got to be perfect here. So without anything else, there's the pressure of that. And so many people are afraid to do something great. I think sometimes they, they might have a great score going. They might be shooting clean. They're like, Oh man, it's the seventh end. I'm still clean. Boom. There it goes. You know, it's gone. Because their focus changed. Yeah. It's, I mean, you've already shot those seven ends. Who cares? What if it was end one now? Who cares where you're at? It goes right back to the arrow in the bow is all that matters and and letting go and, and realizing there's really no penalties for a negative result. You don't have to pay double entry fee. You don't have, you know, your, your wife probably isn't going to leave you. I don't know. Maybe she would. Who knows? But there's there's really no negatives that come from garnering tournament experience I've, I've been to vegas five times and i've failed five times now you and i both know some shooters who've had some negative experiences at tournaments though <laughs> but that was their own doing i um, uh, yeah probably don't want to go there no all right but um yeah all joking aside though uh i think when we look at this thing it's it's get out there and do it right 
We do it for fun. And try to have fun. Try to recognize that it's not the end of the world if you don't, you know, shoot a certain score. Uh, and, and really, honestly, the people who love you are still going to love you, and the people don't like you are not going to like you if you shoot a great score. Right. They'll just figure out a way to find another way to make you miserable if they can. Yeah. So don't let them. I feel like we're you know playing camp counselor a little bit. This is all this is all unbelievably revolves around shot execution, though. I mean, it, it truly does. Shot execution is so simple when you're at home doing it. And so so difficult when you let it go. Yeah, but you know, I mean, look, let's 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 understand something. There's no substitute for working hard, right? I mean, you can have a lot of talent. You still got to work to a certain degree to realize that talent. Uh, somebody without talent, me, you know, I'm 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 a pretty much a grinder in what they call a grinder in golf. You know, I got to work at it, right? Sometimes flashes of okay, followed by long stretches of e, but. <laughs> You know, um, I get my own rewards out of out of doing my best when I get to a competition, and uh, there's no substitute for hard work, though, in my opinion. You know, need, Agreed, a, need yeah. a good training plan, good feedback from a coach if you can if you can manage that. You know, even if you're on your own coach like Steve here, smart work I think is critical. yeah. I mean, I yeah. was practicing yesterday. I don't practice as much as I should, but when I do practice, I try to be smart about it. I shot a really great score. I was shooting an outdoor game, shot a great score. The first game, first 36 arrows, second 36 arrows. It really started to become a struggle. I still shot a pretty good score, but I don't like the feeling of having to fight right to get arrows into the 10 ring. So I went back, like I mentioned, and just tried to simplify what I was doing, tried to aim soft and just be okay with the movement I was seeing and then work on execution. And a lot of times, a lot of times you're going to have one of two things. You're going to have great aim and you're going to have to figure out a way to execute or you're going to aim poorly, but you're going to be executing very freely. And it's rare that you put two of them together. It is rare because you don't see it enough to be comfortable with it. So, I mean, last night I just worked on nothing but good, smooth execution in the time frame I wanted to go off. But I was able to salvage a pretty good score and – go into you're coming to today feeling like all right cool i'm not shooting terrible if i'm ever shooting really really bad and it's all going out the window it's it's okay to just stop you can put the bow away and come back another day i mean why why continue to work on poor bad habits and terrible shot execution know yourself yeah don't ingrain that in yourself yeah yeah so you know um if you're not feeling good and you're not shooting well and you don't feel like you're making forward progress well maybe consider doing something different for a little while yeah you said pack it in on the uh, it's working now okay lost the mic there well you're messing with your xlr plug there probably huh i'm new what can i say you know everybody needs training in these things i'm not the olympic announcer of the year that neither am i (laughs) uh the uh, you know the bottom line is that if you have good physical conditioning reasonable physical conditioning Pay a little attention to your nutrition. Pay a little attention to your hydration. And have a mental system of focus, right? Whatever that is. For me, it's Dick Tone saying focus, rhythm, timing. For some of my students, it's me telling them to shoot a strong shot in whatever language they speak. Just to anchor their conscious mind for the moment that they need to take that shot. Yeah. But have a system. Yeah, whatever it is. I mean, if it's getting out of out of the thought of the tournament you know I, I know a lot of guys who shoot really well when they're 
kind of loose, maybe screwing around a little relaxed. Oh, yeah. Just, you know, making jokes. Jay Bars, always cracking jokes, talking, yeah. telling stories. Then he gets up there, shoots his three arrows or six arrows really fast, then comes back and finishes the story. Yep. I mean, I've, I've seen that. Um, when I was first starting in indoor archery, it was actually my first tournament ever. I was at the Utah Open at Salt Lake Archery. I'd driven about six hours from Idaho by myself. And I was watching a, a guy named Josh Schaff, who is from Montana, really talented shooter. Really good shooter. Yeah. Um, he actually, I think he was the lucky dog winner. He made it to the shoot off. At Vegas. Year. His first shoot off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that was lucky dog. And they had, they had the wrong name for him, right? Did they have him as Chris? Uh, well, that's his brother. I don't right. know what they, yeah, yeah I think they, they listed him as Chris. Chris. Yeah. yeah. So I was watching him shoot and I've never even told Josh this to this day, but he he's probably not going to be listening. I don't know. He's from Montana. He's you know, there's an awful lot of people I hope aren't listening. But they- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, Josh, uh, super good dude. I just, he, he's probably not a podcast guy, but anyhow, um, I'm watching him. He shot a, a 28 X this day, shot a 328 X. And I swear he would, he would get on the line. He would shoot his three arrows. He'd be off the line. He'd be on his phone joking with the guy next to him. It was like the least amount of focus I've ever seen on the actual tournament. And probably all every shred that he did care was completely reserved for the three arrows he was going to shoot during that end. Yeah. Cause you can't keep that up forever. Yeah. And then it was gone. If you're, if you're stone cold serious, and oh, probably, oh yeah you know yeah. I, I it's gonna get tight sometimes i'll uh i'll be at a tournament and i see somebody that i um that i know don't know but know from you know social media or whatever and i'm watching them sometimes and and i see how you know very seriously they're taking everything and they're talking about stuff they they type stuff on the internet and then they go to the tournament and they finish 86th mm-hmm. you know and it's and it's because they're trying to keep up that that impossible effort of I'm going to be hundred percent focused all the way through this thing. I'm really serious about this tournament. It's ridiculous. You can't keep that up, but it's, you can keep it up for three arrows. It's the, it's the ego thing again. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. I mean, if yeah. you, if you let it go and, and let yourself be you, I'll tell you, it can be a, a monster if you're not careful though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, seriously. And, and let's face it, it does take a certain amount of, of, of experience and maybe getting beaten up a little bit to understand, really understand and accept that aspect of it but there's no and i don't mean to go all zen on everybody but there's nothing more important than putting that stuff aside and just staying in the moment and executing the shot because Mm -hmm. all the rest of it is just garbage it's just unnecessary baggage that we carry with us yep if you're worried about being embarrassed you know perfect example i was at the uh i was at the golf course the other day and i was on the driving range i hadn't swung a club in like seven weeks i could not hit anything on the driving range and there's there's a couple good golfers on each side of me and they're looking great and a part of me was thinking wow this is embarrassing but then i thought you know what i've been at vegas and shot 292 you know on the championship line i've done a lot of embarrassing things in my days if i'm at a golf course here in utah with five other guys how bad is it really you know i mean it it, at some point you got to let all that go there's there's really nothing to lose you can't be worried about someone else watching you fail because i doubt those guys even remember me now they don't care you know they yeah, got so why should you do yeah i've stood next to people who have missed the target or whatever i don't remember them i don't care 
it's it's not that I don't care. I don't want to sound you know insensitive. No, no, but it's not. It's different though. It's not yeah. like you judge them differently because exactly. Of that. Yeah, I mean it. It didn't affect how I thought of them as a person. Right. You know, I mean, I got to tell you, some of the people that I I love to have as representatives of our brand, you know, just staff shooters, are not the perfect shooters. Right. They're nice people. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's that's ultimately that's more important than They're being great a great representatives shooter. Representatives of the brand. You know, the best people in our sport are are good people. Yep. And good shooters, but you know, more of the good people part. So I don't know. We've been rambling a bit for, for, for a bit of time here. We probably lost focus. Well, it's hard to keep the focus up all the way through the Look shot. At that, yeah. No. <laughs> all right. We're, we're going to shift gears because I, I think we've gone off into the weeds a little too yeah. much. Hopefully, like I said at the beginning, maybe someone gleaned one little nugget out of this. I don't know. We rambled, but gosh, I hope so. Yeah. So um, I, we got a few questions after our last uh, discussion, which had to do with uh, stabilization. So we talked about stabilizers. Yep. And uh, there's something some folks mentioned about your setup in particular. Maybe you can shed some light. Yes, we got a question here. Steve, we saw you shooting on Archery TV. You have a really long back bar. Why? Um, Is that, that's compared to most other folks. Yeah, yeah. compared to most. Um, See, I do. I shoot a 15 inch back bar, which is uh, that really, really long? I mean, a few years ago it would have been. Oh yeah, for know? sure. But now I, it's becoming more commonplace. Okay, so go ahead and, and tell them. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a matter of getting the the amount of force out of your stabilization setup without having to add too much weight. So, say that again. It's about getting. It's about creating force out of your stabilization. I don't know if that's the right bias. Word. Maybe. Yeah. Do you mean bias? Like, yeah. like it's your full draw leverage. and it's okay. Leverage. You're okay. Creating leverage without having to add too much weight. So right. If I do a, a a 15 inch stabilizer with 10 ounces on it, let's just say, it's going to do a lot more leverage than a 10 inch stabilizer with 10 ounces. So, yes. I mean, think about holding something out in front of your. Just yeah, it's basically holding your hand out in front of you. Yeah, I mean, the longer it is, the less weight it takes for it to want to drag you down. Um, so for me, I, I already have a pretty heavy bow set up. I don't want to go heavier, so I go longer on the back bar. Um, sometimes I will try a 12-inch bar. It just depends on the day, the moon phase, who knows. But, yeah, the the kind of the rule of thumb is twice the length, half the weight. So you're shooting a, a 10 inch bar with 10 ounces you can shoot a 20 inch bar with five ounces and get about the same effect so i hope that answers that yeah okay that's good that that's useful because um you know the downside of the longer bar of course is the bar itself weighs something so your overall mass is increased and it might be pushed around a little more maybe in the yeah. wind yeah you get a little more cross section you do get a little more material weight but you know overall able to get more leverage with less total mass weight. All right. So, uh, hey, we're coming up on uh, 52 minutes here. So uh, I guess we really did go off in the weeds. Yeah. Uh, you you broke your microphone again. Try that again. All right, here we go. It's. Am I there? Yeah, yeah you're back. Yeah, we, we, uh, we dove off and hopefully, I don't know, I guess if there's something – you want more clarification on, you know, you can always contact us podcast at Easton TP.com podcast at E A S T O N T P.com. You've got some uh, trips coming up pretty soon. You're leaving tomorrow or tonight actually, isn't it? Yeah. Tonight, um, final world cup 
well, I shouldn't say the final World Cup. That may be the final stage. The fourth World Cup stage. Final stage. Yeah, in uh, Medellin, Colombia. So you're going to Mexico to pick up Linda and then fly off to uh, Mexico or to uh, Colombia or, or. Yeah, I'm going to see the in laws, hang out a little Ooh. bit. Yeah. Guad- Guadalajara? Guadalajara. Uh-huh. Yeah, then off to uh, to Medellin. Kind of makes sense to, to go that route and uh, shoot the World Cup and see where we fall. Might have one more tournament, the the World Cup final, and then that'll be it for the outdoor season. That sounds like fun. I've got a couple more events. I've got to go to Japan in a couple of weeks for the um, National Sports Festival, ah. which is the Kokutai. It's a great event. I mean, have you ever seen it? No. Well, it's just crazy. It's just awesome. Uh, it's in many, many different sports, right? It's like what we used to have here. We used to have the U.S. Olympic Festival in the United States, a little before your time. We had a national sports festival, and then that became the U.S. Olympic Festival, where you'd go and you'd have 3,500 athletes, and they'd put you, they'd give you a uniform, they'd fly you out to the event, they'd uh, put you up at a hotel. It was just like going to the Olympics. A multi-sport event. A multi-sport event. And some of them were Pan Am sports, too, so you'd see guys with bowling balls, you know, that right. kind of stuff. But um, it was awesome. For an up-and-coming shooter, to make the team first was a big deal back then. And then to be able to compete at the thing for your region, east, west, north, south. Uh, and, and, of course, you were shooting with all the big dogs, right, who you didn't normally see locally, mm-hmm. right? And, and in fact, uh, you know, I, I made more uh, progress in my in my shooting with my first Olympic festival than I did in the previous several years because of the opportunity that it gave me. And unfortunately, we don't have that now. You know, but fortunately in our country, you can go to nationals. Well, yeah. in, in Japan, you can't. It's uh, it's a closed event. You've got to qualify. Mm, and the same thing for the Kokutai for the for the sports festival, but. Uh, a lot of a lot of shooters um, from different prefectures in Japan. So uh, I'll be going there to help coach and demonstrate some stuff and all that sort of stuff. Well, call a few. Enjoy arrows. your trip. Yeah, and then after that, I've got a. Uh, this is sort of the close of my shooting career. I think I, <laughs> I've been asked to. I've been asked to officiate at the Asian Championships. So I'll be doing that too. Oh wow! So yeah, you are moving on from participant to official. <laughs> Dang. It's very scary, but uh, no, I'm I'm still shooting um, because I never ever want to be a judge. The judges are great; we need them. I just don't want to be one. I'm not. I'm not. I don't have that mindset. Neither do I. Yeah. I, uh, when I'm done shooting, I'll just be done. Yeah. Just be done. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, there was talk about going off in the weeds. <laughs> Another recent podcast in the can. I'm George Tekmachov for Steve the. Big Cat. Anderson, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for joining us.